Hello, 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 and welcome to Bitches With Beards. And on today's episode, I asked Daniel the question, what are Perian's habits? What are you feeding her? Oh, is that the complete collection of Nancy Drew? We're the podcast that attempts to break down the culture with all the elegance of two Miami grandmas. <laughs> but in truth, we're just a couple of Bitches With Beards. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And we both have opinions. So let's get this party started. Hello, Daniel. Hello. It's been so long. So long and far away. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised we can clink because you're not actually here this week. Ooh. Ooh. Are we crossing metaverse? We are crossing metaverse. Daniel is officially at this point away in Konyakup. Uh, Connecticut, dear Connecticut. Spent years thinking it was Konyakup. Um... <laughs> And you are presenting about Lady Bird Johnson. I I am. Um, let's see. When the time that we would normally be recording, the conference would be wrapping up. Nice. And I can't yeah. wait to hear about it. But because we've had to do, not had to do, we we we, had, we needed to do a double record. Yes. We decided this week we were going to do our first movie deep dive. Yes. And we will say, listeners, these will not happen frequently, but they will happen occasionally. You know, special films to us. So we are very excited because this week, drumroll please, we are doing The The Birdcage. And if you're thinking gay podcast, The Birdcage, groundbreaking, (laughs) we will do Devil's Prada at one point. Um, Next season, next season. Next season, this film is not just important not just an amazing film mm-hmm. it's important to Daniel and I's personal gay culture right and it's also a very important film to gay culture yes I mean I would say it's probably one of the first positive gay films so to speak in the 90s where it we was, weren't the victims it was or a, the villains it's such a mainstream movie yes it inserts the LGBT themes in Effortlessly, yes. And we knew that it just. It's, it, and we're going to go into it a lot more. On this. That's not. We won't, we won't yeah. be around it to now. But no. And and we've we've always loved it. It's a go to when we've like done our RuPaul nights and something. And we're always like, well, what do you want to put on? And it's either you know, unless we want to watch Mean Girls again on <laughs> VH1. Uh, you know, this this film goes on quite a lot. Because it's just so easy to watch, and I don't know why I never get bored. I, I don't know about you. I rewatched it to do this episode, Same. <laughs> and still laughed at certain lines. It's just so good. It is so good. It is, you know, just it's effortless with the timing. Essentially, the timing is crucial on it. I mean, if the timing was off, then you know this would be a one-off. But like, the timing is just spot on and perfect, as only you know great actors could be. So. You know, I think we have to thank Robin Williams and Nathan Lane for that. But then you have someone like like we'll go we'll go we should break down it quickly. But then Gene Hackman in it, who is a very serious actor, and he's oh. also like um, he's not a hard man actor, but he's very much the gruff man. Yeah. And for him to do a film like this and how his character leaves the production is something quite else. Yes. So this is usually the point of the show when I present a bottle of wine, but I have uh, completely forgotten. That's okay. There's a bottle of white chilling in the fridge. White? But you only drink red. 
Uh, Red has tannins. Tannins! <laughs> so don't worry, listeners, we are actually drinking wine. wine. And that is a complete joke, because <laughs> the chance of Daniel forgetting a bottle of wine at the start of the night is only 90%. Oh, it's probably like 0% that I'd ever forget a bottle of wine. We are drinking uh, a Vino Verde in Orlana. So it is going to be a white sparkling wine akin to Cava and Prosecco. Because we are recording about midday, so naturally you have to have fizz. Yeah, you have to have fizz. You have to have fizz. So we're keeping the fizz going from the other record. And we promise not to do too many skits, but some of this is just too... It's just hard to resist. Oh, it's just so hard. Like, after rewatching watching again, I'm like, oh, we've got to add that one, and we've got to add that. Oh! We have been telling everyone for the last couple of weeks to watch The Birdcage, yeah, so in case you haven't off familiarize yourself. You know, stop the podcast now and go watch it, and then come back. Or just keep watching it. I'll keep or just keep listening to the podcast then go watch it then re-listen to it on a different platform to get out <laughs> you are thankless and shameless and five stars and a review on each <laughs> so I think though Daniel just mm-hmm. in case people are a little bit groggily drunk like us uh-huh. we should maybe break it down yes in the birdcage a gay cabaret owner and his drag queen companion agree to put up a full straight front so that their son can introduce them to his fiancée's right wing moralistic parents and you better believe that hijinks will ensue will the truth come out will facades maintain or crumble do you have the full collection of Nancy Drew I don't know why that line is so funny. I just love it. Her delivery of it is just perfect every single time. So we are going to go into a brief history of the birdcage, which might surprise some people who know it and also why it's so significant. But be first. Be first. Be Be first first or before. But first. I meant to say before, but I went to say first. (laughs) Uh, Daniel, what is your history of the birdcage? When did you watch it for the first time? So I think I watched it for the first time in the early 2000s, so like around 2002, because ABC did this thing to where they did not want to pay uh, actors residuals. And so in between like portions of a season, they would have like movie Thursdays, essentially. Oh, so you wouldn't repeat, they wouldn't do repeats. Well, like there would be no repeat episodes, so they would have like movie Thursdays. And the birdcage, for some reason, was on at least once a month, if not twice sometimes. Yeah, I, I have to say that I never really got that living in England, because there was a lot of films I missed out on, and people would be like, well, have you not seen it? It was on all the time. And I'm like, what do you mean on all the time? And when I moved out here, yeah, there are films that are literally on all the time. Like, right. RuPaul always has Saved the Last Dance, and Mean Girls on rotation. Yes. Know? So, just quickly, for we are going to go into the history of the birdcage. It came out in 96. So, mm-hmm. I would have been 11 and you would have been 9, 8? Uh, 96, I would have been 5. 5. Wow, I forget how much younger you are for me. Yeah. Um, so, I think I saw it quite close to it coming out. Because mm-hmm. we had, as kids, we had Sky Movies. We had, we had mm-hmm. the cable movie channels, mm-hmm. which were not premium, but they, they were yeah. on the package. And we eventually got rid of them because we never watched movies, which was weird. Uh, but it really is knowing you. Yeah, mainly because they also repeated a lot, uh. you know, and also like you have to remember to record them and yeah. the night you were watching them, there was never anything on. But this film came on and I don't remember there being any real issue of us watching it. Uh, I think, so 96... Aladdin would have been out. Robin Williams was known anyway, but right. he also, I think Aladdin had really cemented him as a family 
friendly performer. Right, so that would have been before Patch Adams, though. And oh, we never watched Patch Adams. And Bicentennial Man wasn't out yet. Yeah. By the way, Bicentennial Man has the greatest Celine Dion song that comes with it, which is not known, but the culture knows about it. <laughs> uh, but no. So I, I, I remember... Oddly enough, a textbook at school, a French textbook, had a picture of the birdcage in it because I think they must have used it because of the French connection, but they were discussing movies and had a photo of the cinema and the birdcage was on it. Yeah. But I I think one night my parents, we sat down and watched a movie. We used to sit as a family and watch movies together and we watched the birdcage. And I don't remember feeling awkward watching it. Yeah. I don't remember feeling like I want. I don't want to watch this because I I knew quite young every gay guy. Mm-hmm. Unless you really are. I mean, obviously some people do discover later, right? And I I do agree that happens because let's face it, you know, conditioning does happen, <laughs> right? I remember sitting and laughing. Yes, a lot. Not feeling uncomfortable. I do feel though it did pave that way of the modern family yeah I would say you know I watched it with my family and it was very much the same situation of like we were just laughing and having a good time with it and then eventually I think you know about the third time it was on and you know three months my parents were like if you want to watch it you have fun watching it we're going to go do something else essentially yeah no I just I said I just remember laughing I think then probably didn't really think much about it after that I don't I think it stayed in the culture I don't think it revolutionised things as much I don't I can't remember after that there being a ton of films that suddenly came out no and I don't know that there's any descendant film after that you know so to speak actually that's on, on that sort of strange note I'm just going to quickly um, Google uh, I mean I, I'm not aware of any like Two Wong Fu come out 95 right so even Two Wong Fu was but Two Wong Fu's a, a very that's crunchier than the birdcage it's grittier than the birdcage and like, even though, watching that one that was like oh there's a lot that I because even and we, we're, we're going to deep dive we, we are the, the, the holy trinity that we are going to do I personally feel will be the birdcage Two Wong Fu and Priscilla yes uh, um, for different reasons and Two Wong Fu and Priscilla is going to be interesting but Tu Wong Fu, even though it had very mainstream actors, was very gay and still seen as a very gay yeah. film. Whereas The Birdcage never... It's, it's been classed as LGBT, but still yeah. very mainstream. Well, I think part of it was the fact that no one in the cast was out at the time. Yes, there was no out gay character in it. Because right. Nathan Lane... Wasn't out no. at that point. Robin Williams knew it. They, they, they knew yes. he was gay. Yeah, Robin Williams knew and actually protected him for most of it during interviews and stuff. Yeah. So... That's the birdcage for me, and, it, I, it's, 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 it, and it's, I, I think I picked up on it later. I think my parents picked up the DVD. They were mm-hmm. they were out at a sale, and they picked it up, and I rewatched it, and just forgot how much I loved it. And since then, as I've kind of come into my own, I know the references, especially being out here. There's a lot of niche references, right? So we're going to start off with a brief history of the birdcage. 25 years ago, gay families weren't talked about. Then the birdcage hit the screen. The birdcage began life in 1973 as a French play, La Cage aux Folles, which actually translates into The Cage of the Mad Woman. Oh, I thought it was The Cage of the Bird. So. Exactly. <laughs> this was written by Jean Perret. Perret? This was written by Jean Perret um, with the action taking place in Saint-Tropez. Ah, oh, Saint-Tropez. Didn't Madonna sing of that? 
This was made into the French-Italian film in 1978, quickly became a classic in France, also by the same name. Yes, and I worked with a French lady, um, and she's, I mentioned about occasion, she said that's like on like every Christmas. It's like a, it's a real standard film out mm-hmm. there. So this was actually followed by two sequels, which people don't know a lot about. I, they, I didn't yeah, know about that. Two oh. sequels, and one of which would see Albert Albin. He was referred to as, he was called Albin. Mm-hmm. Char- the character facing a life trapped as a woman. Basically, they were on the run for the mafia. They end up in a small town, mm. and he arrives in this town as a woman, therefore must remain as a woman. Huh. Um, and this is a scenario very similar to a much later film, Tu Wong Fu, thanks yeah. to think, Judy yes, Newmar. Yes. Mm. It also spawned a failed American TV pilot called Adam and Ives. Or Eves. Eves. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that one. That came up a bit later. Mm. So in 1983, the legendary Harvey Feierstein, um, who many would know modernly as Edna Turnblad, yes, and Jerry Herman would turn Lacage into a successful Broadway musical, uh, and it would be the first successful Broadway musical. I think that was very much <laughs> stressed out. Yeah, stressed out. Yeah. To feature a gay couple, as well as providing us with the gay anthem "I Am What I Am," recorded by Gloria Gaynor, it would also introduce elements that would be incorporated into the Birdcage. The Birdcage itself was released in 1996, directed by the prolific director Mike Nichols, my actual favourite director of all time, um, who had also been involved in the early stages of the musical. It followed very closely to the beats of the original play and film, but it would move the action across the Atlantic to Florida. And the rest is gay history. So, before we even begin, you can tell that this is not it's when people go I don't like remakes I'm like this is a remake of a remake of a remake of a remake yes Daniel what is your history with the previous versions so the pre- my history of the previous versions is going to be very boring it is I am what I am the Kaja Falls that number in its various iterations with the various albums singing like that is what I know of the birdcage for birdcage from I don't know the film I know of the film I've never seen that film I've seen the film uh-huh the original I, I'm not, this is really hard. I, I'm not the biggest fan all the time of dubbed or subtitled films because, mm. especially in comedies, because I feel that your, your attention is drawn to the, mm. the, 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 um, the, the, the subtitles and away. We're going to go into it a lot more. What, it, it's kind of a cruel film in a mm. way, in that the Albin uh, character, Zaza, that's a drag name, disguises um, themselves as a woman and the mother to torment the husband and son, mm. which I feel changes the dynamic of the film. Which is not present in The Birdcage. <laughs> yeah, whereas The Birdcage is a very loving film, there's a lot more yeah. tormenting, a lot more revenge, and a lot more mm. I can make you suffer, which I feel like had I seen it first, I may have enjoyed, and it may have claimed that The Birdcage actually just takes the edge off the film. Yeah. But it was jarring because this film was seen as the... Um, like was a, a celebration of gay love and what mm-hmm. we do for the people that we care about most. I've seen Lacage. I'd mm-hmm. say Lacage was, I feel, the first to introduce the element of that actually it's done for love. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's still a very French. It's got that French Parisian theme. Not, it's a good show. It's got really good big numbers, yeah. but the smaller numbers are a little bit maudling yeah they're a bit yeah. I, yeah. but the opening number um, well I am what I am is amazing yeah um, there's Lacage Fall the opening number 
We Are What We Are. I think it's We Are What We Are is yeah. the opening number, then I Am What I Am is the closing one of Act One. Yeah. The Lacajal Fall number, it's a big mid mid first act, Lacajal Fall, and it builds and builds. It's, it's, yeah. it's meant to be their performance. Yeah. It's, it's the gay number. It's the gay, and it really is. It's, it's spectacular, and it's all doing. There's the Duchess that got pregnant by the bar. Do, do, do. <laughs> um, and I saw it with. I saw the many fat one. It was the one that Kelsey Grammer ended up in over mm, here. Yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend. Actually, it's a really great show, and the 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 end's very different, but has the same finale. But how they they. Who is opposite Kelsey Grammer in the one over here? I'm remembering this one from. Was the it Tony Douglas Wars. Hodge? Yes, it was. So Douglas I saw Hodge. Douglas Hodge in. Yes. Yeah. And Douglas Hodge now... No, not him. Is it Douglas Who I'm thinking of? Anyway, um, but no, it was really good production, but the ending actually takes place in a restaurant. They... They, they, mm. they, they, um, they shift it. Yeah, Jacob, or the Akadog character, burns the food, and mm. they have to shift it to um, a restaurant. There's a lot... It's very different, actually. They, they redo condense... They, actually, oddly enough, they expand the action in a weird way, because they create two locations, mm. whereas the film itself is a very condensed one. Very much. Shall we begin breaking down his modern masterpiece? Indeed. Let's drink a toast to this catastrophe. Cheers. Our film begins over Sister Sledge's We Are Family. As the camera flies over the ocean towards the Miami shoreline where it enters the nightclub, The Birdcage. Inside, the club's owner, Armand Goldman, played by Robin Williams, is busy trying to keep things running smoothly. But Armand's evening is about to get a lot harder when he finds out that his headline act, the drag queen Starina, is refusing to perform. Starina is actually Albert, played by Nathan Lane, Armand's life partner, who is convinced he is about to be dumped for a younger man. Been there, done that, now I date younger, problem solved. <laughs> Oh, so true. <laughs> Together with their flamboyant house by Akador, played by Hank Azaria, they convince Albert to take to the stage. But the question is, just what is Armand up to? To quote a line from one of my former lives, You and Danger Girl, Starina. Jolene is behind that curtain. We have our opening. Yes. We're not gonna, we, 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 we really fought hard where we start to break this down. Because there's so... We could literally word for word do this film. Right. But... But that's not the point of this podcast. (laughs) But the argument between Mm -hmm. these two... It's it's a stereotypical gay argument. I'm going to wager that. Don't use that tone to me. What tone? That sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. Or I have lost and gained a hundred (laughs) pounds. I want to see that. (laughs) I have yo-yoed. And you haven't said one word to me about it. Not one scrap of validation. (laughs) And this is where... So we can do this word for word. We can sit and do a speak along about it. But this scene is like... It's so well... Directed. We're going to talk a lot about it. Mike Nichols is a, is a prolific director. He directed a graduate. He mm-hmm. he he started directing. His first was uh, Who's Fed of Virginia Woolf on stage. Oh, cool. He directed Spam a lot. You know, he's he mm. really is. His comedy timing is impeccable. Yes. You have these two seasoned performers fighting with each other, and. And the hits are so well paced; they just keep coming and they flow. And and Nathan Lane's performance is like a masterclass of subtlety in a way because he could have blown it, blown it, blown it, mm-hmm. and actually, he he kind of finds the humanity that there's someone 
in it and he's just really over the top he's he's really screaming you can imagine like Armand is just tired of the whole situation uh-huh. and then there's just that bit where he goes you don't love me um, and then he goes and, and Armand you can know, you know has heard this line a thousand times and he goes also I found a bottle of white wine chilling in the fridge and he and it's the way his tone though lowers yes and he goes I've got you it's like I'm going to do that this line that you know yeah but then I'm going to add a hook to it that you didn't see coming and yes I've caught you in the act you're not smarter than me and then you go through this bit of going and he's and I think it's Armand's down on his knees doing up his, his anklet yeah and he goes I have decided to drink he goes it was Armand's there's a bottle of white wine chilling in the fridge. We only drink red. And he's and then the line we did earlier with the tannins. And he just goes tannins, kicks him back, <laughs> and it, then he blows back up again. Yeah. But he finally, finally has the, this moment. I think the bit for me, the comedy gold for me is the shaving. Is just now. Now you decided to shave. And and Nathan Lane. Is uh, he wasn't out then, but he was a very you know he was he played it very feminine very well, and uh-huh. I think the bit that I and he, this is recurring throughout is that because he is kind of like he's he's a nice looking guy, but he's he is short and he is he is kind of broad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't he's not all like cheekbones. Yeah. And he 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 when he breaks character, he really obviously breaks character, and he's like, well, he's like, I'm so, I need I need some air. And then he picks up the razor and just and he moves his jaw and just goes ooh and <laughs> shaves himself and it's just that complete. There's it. You have to act like a man to become a woman, you yeah, know. Yeah, and it's yeah. like that brilliant bit of. And I think it's also like a really good reflection of women go through to really kind of get themselves pretty. I mean, beauty is pain. I think one of my lines that I love is whenever he is like volleying with Armand. He's like, you know you made me fat and short. And then Robin Williams is like, I made you short. <laughs> I didn't realize that was possible. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, we, 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 we went for it to really pick lines out. Mine is the peering tablets. There's a bit where oh, Akadar, the houseboy, gives Albert peering tablets. And when you... And at the end, and Robin Williams, a mom, pulls him outside and goes, what are you giving him? He goes, ah, it's nothing, honey. It's just aspirin of the NES scratched off. He's like, that's genius. I know. <laughs> um, and I didn't really get this. Peering is aspirin with the NES. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is, you know, just NES. And, and, and I think what's actually very clever is that they, uh, there is a, so in, in film we have the term Chekhov's gun if you mention a gun in the early scene you should expect to see it being fired in the later scene right and the Kennedys comments there's a funny line about the Kennedys oh um, Armand the Kennedys are here do you want to get the, do you want to get their meal for them it's uh-huh. like was it Robert or like what, what is it they're like he's like is it Ted he's like no, no. it's the younger ones he's like no coffee oh, coffee <laughs> we never get... and then obviously that's a smoking gun because the joke is that Later on, when they come to stay, they go and stay with the Kennedys, not realising they frequent the very club that you know, they're trying <laughs> right. to make sure no one knows they go into. Right. We return to Armand, who is indeed meeting with a younger man. Val, played by Dan Furterman, his son, has returned from college to announce his engagement. Though he is sceptical, Armand chooses to support his son. Well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Over in Ohio, 
God, who scripted this line? Val's <laughs> 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 fiance Barbie Ra, played by Calista Flockhart, pre Ali McBeal, is having less luck with her father, the Republican Senator Kevin Keeley, played by the ever amazing Gene Hackman. He has recently co-founded the Coalition for Moral Order in his pursuit for an ultra-conservative political career. Hello, 2023. <laughs> so this hits a speed bump when his co-founder is found dead in bed with an underage black prostitute slash sex worker. A.K.A. it hit a speed bump. A.K.A. the last thrust killed him. A.K.A. somewhere Demi Lovato is reviving her career with a heart attack song. <laughs> in a bid to avoid scandal, the senator's wife, Louise played by the underrated but consistently amazing Diane Weiss in yes. this, suggests that they embrace the wedding, but they will have to meet the family first. Because there are certain rules for Republicans and marriage. So, um, essentially what I take away from this scene is that um, Barbara and Val are just big liars. Big liars. Well, the line, big, big liars. The line also is in it. Barbara is called Barbie by her parents. And it's, uh. when you realize that Diane Weiss is going to be an amazing actress in it, we, have, we, we spoke today, call me Bar. my name is Barbara. Okay, Barbie, rah. <laughs> I thought that line, she does not blink because she's a political wife. Uh. She is slightly, I think you could read it as browbeaten. Mm. I don't quite think she's conservative. Yeah. I feel that she feels that's the role she should have taken. I feel like she's sort of encapsulating that Barbara Bush role. Yeah. She has enabled a political career, mm-hmm. but she never says anything negative. Right. And I also feel when we get to the end of it, that you start to see that actually I think that she possibly had a very overbearing father. And this may be yeah. looking too deep into I it. I think he might be right. But, <laughs> but it's not that she's just never had a chance like you, and I think that for me is because she's such a sweet character <laughs> that she doesn't know any different. She's gone yeah. from one thing to another, and you have this really it, lovely. Yeah. And her daughter is not doing that. She's the modern woman. She's pushing back. She's having her own thing. Who is this boy, Barbie? When was the last time you saw him? Please don't call me Barbie. This afternoon at two o'clock. We've been sleeping together for a year. Oh. God. Has he been tested? Oh, Kevin! Yes, and so have I. Oh! But uh, the reason why I'm saying that, you know, the two are liars is the fact that... They're fucking horrible. They're, they're horrible people. Like, don't get me wrong, Val and Barbara are, like, the worst characters in this film is because, for some reason, Barbie decides to lie about everything. Everything! Which throws the entire thing into motion. So I have a question then. Yeah, yes. Is this a story that they concocted together but I because I think that Barbie rah, so I heard a Barbie yeah. there I think she constructed it at the st- at, on the spot so I think that Val is actually complicit in it and knows a little bit more oh Val's but, complicit face value yes because he also mentions oh by the way she mentioned that you were an attache yeah but, so so I think that you know oh but she tells about the attache he says to Armand about the attache bit after after so I wonder whether that, that was mentioned in the phone call because I I but it wasn't mentioned in the phone call but you don't see the phone call no whenever no you do see the phone call what phone call are we talking about we're talking about the phone call whenever Val calls Barbie and Jean is no but later on they make the announcement to come they're going to come to um, oh no Miami. yeah we don't see that phone so call. I wonder yeah. but I do but it's such a weird thing like they must have known 
that they... Also, the big question is, it's really obvious that her parents, if she had been honest to Val, if, she's, if her and Val are very, the only people that are 100% aware of both sides of the story, mm-hmm. she would have been said to Val, look, there is no way my dad is going to have, um, was it, in-laws that are a gay couple. Right. No, no way. Right. And they said, well, look, let's, let's, let's warm them up to each other. Let's mm-hmm. tell a lie, get them to know each other. Maybe that could be it. Let's yeah, see. Maybe. But how long was this lie going to last? Well, it, but the, my thing is like the extravagance of the lie. Yes. That she told. Be- so it comes out that she's like, oh, you know, Armand is a Greek attache, which Diane Weiss is like, it's really an ambassador of sorts. My favourite line is like he wasn't involved, involved in a Maple Fort exhibit, was it? God, God no! no! <laughs> I wonder whether or not the idea was that if they can agree to the marriage under the lie, then she would have had time to tell her mum. And they obviously didn't realise that the process would have been accelerated. It was sped out by the death, yeah. I still just don't know how they fought. I, I don't... It's not like he was a moderate Republican in the 90s. She no. would have been a little bit against gay guys. He was a hardcore right-wing Republican who even today's standards would still never allow this marriage to happen. Right. Albert also has a few choice words about the wedding. Dormitory slut! But quickly throws himself into a rather heated rehearsal. Honey, you're wasting your gum. Val interrupts to come clean to his father that the keys believe him to be a cultural attaché, Albert to be a housewife, and their last name to be Coleman. If Barbara's parents are going to agree to this marriage, they are going to have to tone down their lifestyle, including the Goldman's extravagant apartment, which I would live in today. Just, you know. No penises, though, unless they're uh, on a crucifix. This also means that plans cannot involve Albert. In the meanwhile, the Kiwis begin their journey to Miami, but they're not alone. The press is hot on their tail. <laughs> you already have a comedy about them disguising the fact they're gay. But mm. on top of that, the fact they have to disguise the fact they're Jewish. And I don't know if anyone listening who is mm. not a familiar got the reference. They're Goldman and they have to call themselves Coleman. Coleman. So they're really layering on how nasty Kevin Keeley is. Yes. and It's layers. I mean... I am against homophobia, uh-huh. but at the same time is like the fact that, you know, they're going after Jewish people as well. That's really, they're really, really, ter- they're really demonizing these people. No, no one is safe from the Republicans, which I mean, you can read it as The that. reason though we stopped, we were trying to find, we wanted to find like three iconic scenes, but this mm. scene gets like um, a sort of an MVP in a way because the rehearsal. Yes. So it begins with Albert in not quite drag, but in female rehearsal gear. Leotards. Rehearsing a number written by Sondheim. A lot of it, the songs were like, Sondheim supplied like some unused songs of his and adjustments in which he is a, in a song, an individual bringing his dream alive and the dream though it falls in love with him. Yes. This dancer who at the time looked old and now we find out is 22, so considerably younger, too young for me, is unable to understand the song. In which the inevitable line comes, he's chewing, I need to think, honey, you're wasting your gum. (laughs) Yes. What do you like about this scene? So I loved Robin Williams' comedic timing for explaining the dance to the dancer. 
Because apparently that was all improvised, where he goes into Martha Graham, Martha, Martha Graham. Graham. Uh, Twilight. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do Fussy, Fussy, Fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Or Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. Or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. Rumour has it, or rumour has it, apparently when they wrote the script, the script was perfect, and they said, let's... But they wrote the script and then rehearsed it. Uh-huh. They let them in five during rehearsal and the script was then readjusted based on certain stuff. And then on script set, they were told they had to, they were happy for improv, but they had to at least get one safety take that was the script, <coughs> script for script. Mm-hmm. And, but the rumour was that, I don't know whether or not it was on set of the rehearsal, but Robin Williams created this eclectic celebration of dance. And, and if you ever, when he died, it was so, so sad, mm-hmm. but that, show his sheer genius as a physical and comedy well it was like the perfect interpretation of all those styles yeah. that was the thing like he nailed it perfectly and it was just like again effortless like just came off like there you go so uh, we've got a couple of like little things for this scene and um, we don't want to press on it too long <clears throat> My favourite is, and this is the one thing you have to listen to in the birdcage, is the background lines. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one line we cannot say on this podcast, but it happens in the car. I highly suggest every car ride, when there's a car ride, listen to it. Yeah, we're not going to repeat it. <laughs> but on this bit, there's a scene of Jay Leno where he goes, there's been enough jokes about Senator Keeley, and here's it's another. Joining Jay on, on, the, on the couch at night is Kate Moss and Yasser Arafat. <laughs> I don't know, that line always makes me laugh, but it's always little background lines. Bips, yeah. But also, as a quick fun fact, they are driving from Ohio to Miami. Yes. This would take them 18 hours. They go through Ohio and Virginia and Kentucky okay. and Tennessee and Georgia. Because uh, they're driving because they don't want to get out of the car. Right. Right. But they're being followed by the police. All I'm going to say is their hair should have been flat and oily and greasy by the time. So I'm saying hours that car must have smelled like farts. Well, they were having so much candy. Like, he's got to, like, pee at some point. Yeah. You know. They also have hot coffee in styrofoam cups. Yeah, yeah. So I they have got out of the car at some point. I'm guessing that when you get into like a rural area, you might just be okay. Yeah. Because there's a few places I've been through where you're like, they wouldn't recognize a, a <laughs> barmer. last week. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't recognize a barmer if they saw him. So, yeah. yeah. Quick checking though. How are you feeling about Val and Barbara still? Oh, they're the fucking worst people. I'm sorry. Like, every time I watch this film, my loathing for those two gets more and more... The older I get, I'm just like, you are shit people. And he's now pressuring his dad into erasing his life. Yeah. So Armand reluctantly agrees to go along with the plan, but attempts to do so without telling Albert the truth. Naturally, Albert finds out when he discovers their apartment, situated above the club, being redecorated by the birdcage troop of drag queens. Referred to as the Goldman girls in the script. Oh, oh, very nice. Seeing his partner's upset, Armand agrees that he should stay. He decides to give lessons in acting more masculine, but with varying degrees of success. Even if Albert pretends to be the uncle and the biggest supporter of the Dolphins, and of Toast, and of John Wayne, they realize that this plan is missing one crucial element. So they decide to recruit Val's birth mother. Who... This scene, or this collection of scenes right right here. So this scene has two levels. It is a hilarious scene. It is really funny how to act more masculine. Yes, I mean, it's 
physical com- comedy right there. It's what we would call now code switching. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, but it's like Lucille Ball, like classic. Classic. Right? You've got the whole line. Uh, this is the other thing. Is So if you've ever seen uh, Modern Family, um, the real real camp one, um, Mitchell. No, no, Mitchell's the son. Who's the... Um, Cam. Cam. Mm-hmm. The joke is that he's a huge football fan. Mm-hmm. And that's how he gets on his father-in-law, is that yeah. they both like football. And there's a bit where you know, you've got this really effeminate you know, drag queen and, mm. and at a time they go, oh, well, you like John Wayne. You love mm. his movies. So yeah. you've got this like sort of already like, you know, two, like this nuanced side of his interest. Like these pokings into the masculine. Yes. And the, the, like, the joke of, you know, you walk like John Wayne. I never knew John Wayne. Like, you walk, walk like that. that. Walk with it, yeah. And it's a, it's a hilarious scene. I mean, it's undeniably funny. Yes. Um, Nathan Lane gives it his all. You know, he gets all hysterical when he pierces the toast. Oh, I pierced the toast. And the, my favourite bit was they, they train themselves on the line, well, how about those dolphins? When I saw my first football match a few months back, I said to the hubs, oh, who are they playing? We didn't see the Bills. And he goes... Miami Dolphins I went oh my god I get to say well how about those dolphins Al <laughs> you old son of a bitch how you doing how do you feel about that call today I mean the Dolphins fourth and three play on their 30 yard line with only 34 seconds to go how do you think I feel betrayed bewildered wrong response I'm not sure it's an undeniably hilarious scene again I, we, we can't do it justice mm-hmm. sitting here it, it, it's just perfectly time Yon's performances but you just sort of sit there now and go it's not a good subject so here's the thing I would say comedic gold but it is sort of the low point of the film in my opinion yeah yeah just watch it and I, by the same time you know I think we've all I think we've been there I do think it does feel the need to like that joke of oh if you're going to come over can you tone yourself down a little bit you know yeah could you, could you be a little less gay a little less gay a little less gay <laughs> at which point you know there's a lot of good memes of like gay drag queens entering the room after after you're told that's uh. a little bit less gay. <laughs> uh, the, the bit that really, really gets me in this scene is after Albert finds out they're going to get rid of him for a couple of days, his first line is, my heart is breaking. And it really is quiet. It is a very high comedy scene. and just goes, my heart is breaking. Yes. And I think that that is, that is really the crux of it. And actually you realise, again, what a dick Val is being because his father is so conflicted as to who yeah. he should follow. And Val is putting him in impossible situations. Right. And Albert is his other father, too. It's just Let's like... say he's my, he's my partner and my friend. Yeah. Armand and Albert go together to visit Val's mother, Catherine, played by little-known actress and long forgotten by the gay community, Christine Belinsky. Oh, yes, yeah, so forgotten. <laughs> never heard of again, never worshipped. No, not worshipped at all at this altar. Now a successful businesswoman. Having had little to do with Val's upbringing, and I thought that was quite, you know, well, yeah. the idea had been that, you know, she didn't want to have a child, she was too young, so mm-hmm. Armand looked after him. Mm-hmm. She is more than happy to help out, help help him out now and I think that line Val he, he truly needs you and she says yes yes so feeling like he is being replaced Albert decides to leave his family Armand presents his partner with palimony agreement making their relationship legal and they decide to face the Keeleys together now in straight man drag Albert feels even more vulnerable than ever and hides away in his bedroom just as the Keeleys arrive so this paragraph may seem like a lot of flip-flopping back and forth with Albert. You have to watch the scenes to understand yes. exactly how he goes. There, there's about 10 minutes of film that we 
condensed down into like 10 seconds. He agrees to go and see Catherine. He does not want Catherine there. When she agrees, it hurts. And then the reason he hides in the bedroom is he generally does not feel comfortable in, in not male clothes, but there is a very strict suits they're wearing. Yeah. And it's very Republican chic. And he does not feel himself. He doesn't feel himself. I was say, it's not him. It's not it, him. It's not him. It's not him at all. So I believe you have this first line. Uh, you know, yes, it's Christine Baranski. Fucking Christine Baranski. Like, oh, we love her so much. I think I really watched bits of Sybil, so I knew who she yes. was. But she wasn't an icon yet in my, uh, in, my, in my bubble. But I think she also was slowly growing that way. So I think she was slowly growing, growing over here. Because, like, this would have been Sybil season one. Yeah, but I think that... So, like, she was starting to, like... I think our generation elevated her to gay icons, so we were basically... This yeah. was This was the, the evidence we were compiling. Yeah. yeah, so this was, like, pre-Grinch. This was uh, pre... Oh, what was the other one that she did that was big? She did um, Chicago. Yes. But that wasn't big, big for her. No, and... Actually, it... that was kind of a controversial role for her, because she replaced a man. Yeah. Um, it was also well, like I said, I, it was you know Sybil season one or two, I think. Yeah, so, so she was really kind of iconic. Yeah, like but, she was starting to. But you know, we, it was our generation right that kind of launched oh, yeah. her like that. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So you really wanted to include this um, scene because of the palimony agreement scene. So I'm going to say this: watching this as a child in you know Alabama, it was like a very moving moment that two men could have a relationship, a caring, loving relationship. And, you know, palimony was the only tool that they had in 96. And that's after death, isn't it, though? Yes. Yeah, so essentially it just meant that Albert would get everything Amand's own. So essentially he would get control of the club. Right. He'd get control of the club. He couldn't be in the hospital if anything happened to him. But it was like, that was the thing. Like, we were just reaching towards, we would like to be legally recognized in death. That was it. And it was a nice scene. It's very gentle. That's true. You're not young. You're not new, and you do make people laugh. And me, I'm still with you because you make me laugh. So you know what I gotta do? I gotta sell my plot and keep Biscayne so I can get one next to you in that shithole Las Copa, so I never miss a laugh. The other scene I after before that I do love is the bit where Albert driving in the car, that, which is um, a stick shift. Stick shift. And every time I um, I can drive, but I'm not a very confident driver. Uh, I've got a, yes. I've got an American Hubs who like who like jumps in the car like it's mother's milk sort of thing. Ew. And we and I'm, I I don't like much many jokes about my driving because I it makes me not want to drive. But that's the one joke he's always like, "There goes Max again." <laughs> um, the other thing I like about this scene is again it's another Sondime song they brought in, mm-hmm. but. The idea they were Broadway hoofers, and then they just and she went into fitness, which makes sense as the next dancer, and he went right. into like you know the hospitality industry. Yeah, it's a very clever way they made them meet. They have, what? How would these two have met? And where would they end Musical, up now? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very organic, very yeah. cleverly, I instantly believable. Yeah, they would have met. They were they were there. Yeah. They realized it wasn't working for them. She went into fitness, and now is also the line. Is it um, Arch now, or have you changed your name? Oh no, I'm between husbands. husbands. <laughs> and again, I think that's the, that's the first season of iconic woman. You yeah. know, like no, they're my husbands. I'm not their wives. Right. Um, and I no, and I, 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 and immediately then we have trouble. Oh. <laughs> trouble, trouble, trouble. In the words of T Swift. But again, and I, we have a, the Palomani Agreement again shifts it. So you've got yeah, it's a very flexible film in the sense of this the back and forth, everything throws up another question and it shifts that you don't know. 
the, a decision made changes. So there's and a lot five of, minutes later, there's gonna be something else. Do you think there's, there's a lot of whiplash? Uh, there's a lot of whiplash. Like, get ready, guys. Yeah. So the Keeleys are greeted by the Coleman family in an apartment that looks more like a monastery, sanctuary, really. Uh, help comes from an <laughs> help comes from an unexpected place when Albert emerges from his bedroom in the form of Mrs. Coleman, and successfully convinces the Keeleys that he is a moderately conservative housewife. From this point onwards, things begin to unravel, mainly thanks to the newly christened Akados Spartacus. <laughs> Not only struggling to walk in shoes, his cooking is only good enough to cover the sexually explicit dinnerware. <laughs> the final nail in the coffin, though, comes in the form of Catherine, and with that, the truth is finally revealed. The only thing stopping the Keelys now from leaving is the press. We have shot through this scene very quickly. Essentially described as the dinner party from hell. The Keys arrive, they get on with everyone, but it just is a catastrophe. Albert comes in. Oh, my God. Completely in full, I say, moderate Republican drag. Yes. And convinces them that she is Val's mother successfully enough to dance with Mr. Senator Keeley pre-dinner yeah and to the point where their initial issue that they they suspect something about Armand they go because they do think there's something going on and to the point where they start to dislike Armand because they feel he's repressing his conservative housewife right like that is the issue they have not that they're gay it's that Armand thinks that he is a very important European but you know his wife is from the middle of nowhere and she shouldn't have an opinion. And it's just like, no, they're gay. <laughs> yes, Coleman. Uh, the D is silent in America. It's uh, Col de Lomont or Col of the Isle of Man in France, where Armand's chateau is, and Coldman in Greece, where Armand's work is, and finally the vulgar Coleman in Florida, where Armand's home is. So actually, we don't know where we are until we hear our last name pronounced. <laughs> it's just pure genius. I could, yeah. I could wax lyrical about this scene. I think my favourite, obviously, the, there's there's so many amazing lines in it. I like. I, I still again not happy with um, with Val and Barbara. No, no, no. Again, they're still the worst people. I do like the scene where they look at each other very quickly, and mm. and Barbara looks at him and goes, "Is this actually working?" Uh, yeah. I think the funny bit is when. Uh, Robin Williams falls over in the kitchen and Val drinks something and that's actually Dan Fuderman trying to stop laughing oh. it was compl- that actually happened they did these slips oh. yeah so uh, and also just so I think to describe the scene better is that they because they go back and forth with Albert is that they decide not to have Catherine there but that message never gets to her because Val is a dick and says Catherine please come and it goes on uh, they, they end up getting served this disgusting so which Agadar cannot cook he puts eggs in it but doesn't get a chance to put these precious shrimps in it right it's absolutely I imagine it being really sour yeah it's a hot and sour stew hot and sour sour peasant stew Um, but the, 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 the joke always is is that they have this beautiful Greek style dinnerware and as they're looking (laughs) <laughs> and then goes what interesting pattern it looks like two boys playing leapfrog and they're trying to fo- and obviously they're trying to trick them and they're like trying to delay and they get the food in there oh I don't believe that I think I've got a girl on mine 
<laughs> oh, it's been a long time since you've seen a girl. <laughs> and then, he, then the dinner comes out and it's stew and they go, isn't this an egg? And he goes, yes, in Guatemala, eggs are very important. A woman is, a woman is um, praised by the size of a hen, judged by the size of a hen, and a man the size of his cock. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, you've then got the bit for me where they take a sip of the stew and all reach for the bread together in right. unison. Because it's so hot. <laughs> and just finally... The bit where shall we get shall we take coffee in the dinner the, the living room and Albert just gets up and grabs a bottle of champagne <laughs> and they're all like oh we should fall suit. It's hard. I, again, we, we this is I, this is one of the reasons I didn't want to kind of want to do this film because I felt we could spend a whole hour just oh. describing the scene. Well, I mean, this scene is pure comedic gold for me. Like, What's the bit that stands out for you? Every time I talk to I mean, other than the oh, you've got the entire collection of Nancy Drew because the gays had taken everything out of this apartment and they had gotten a collection of books and you're never told what they are until Diane goes up there and she's like oh it's the entire collection of Nancy Drew and you're like oh my god Um, of course they got the Nancy Drew and it ends with Catherine Kosimbalinski walking in Uh um, actually very convincingly trying Uh to convince and I'll say we are thanks going on yeah and at which point Val removes Albert's wig Uh which in in film world works in real drag queen world does not work because it is clipped in there clipped in um, and and then openly says this is my mother yeah at which point Mrs. Keeley has to describe to Senator Keeley they are men yes um, I would say Val semi redeemed himself in this he's still one of the worst people ever he's still one of the worst people ever and they yeah. suddenly realise that that's it and they want to leave but they can't oh no because the press that followed them is now outside the door with the birdcage surrounded by reporters Senator Keeley realises that being caught leaving an apartment above a gay bar will end (laughs) his career Catherine is quick to remind him that they still don't have evidence yet basically when they tried to take a photo he had turned away correct Albert suddenly has a flash of inspiration. With We Are Family blaring out across the birdcage, the Keeleys make their exit, disguised as drag queens. Woof. (laughs) With the senator's career saved, Val and Barbara's wedding can go forward. We have two very different sides of the aisle. And that's where we end the film. Yes. It's a very lovely, everyone comes together and supports each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Albert has saved a Republican's career, but the belief really is that had his career collapsed, Barbara would never have been allowed to marry Val, and he just wanted Val to be happy. Yeah. And he does... Actually, it should also be mentioned throughout it that Barbara, after initially being shocked by Albert appearing... Because she quickly realised... She must have seen photos, realises who he is. Suddenly falls for... Warms to Albert in an amazing way. Wants yeah. hugs and even like tr- like works to keep the wig on. Right, keep it, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Yeah. And and that line, I always wish I could be part. Of, I will, I actually would really love to have been part of his family. So I think they realise that actually they are good people, just very conflicted. Yes, I agree. But I mean, the ending scene was. The ending scene is a classic. I yeah, mean, and yeah. it is a really... I, you don't really suspect it's going to happen until it does. I mean, yes. you see it now and you know it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And the bit where they all turn around and they're in drag and they're, they're dancing through it. And it's... it's. 
It, 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 it's so stupid. It completely works. Mm-hmm. The idea, the very thing that they're against is actually the thing that saves them. We have yeah. attacks on drag queens and drag performers now. And actually this film is like about disguise. I don't know. It, it's such a clever ending. It's, it's the perfect cap to a, a film. It just shows how well tightly scripted this, this is. Yes, I think we, we we came full circle. There's definitely a full circle moment in it. It's it's hilarious. There's obviously and that, the, the idea that Keely is more upset the fact that he looks white and fat. Or he's wearing white and looks fat is his thing. And and Barbara's upset that no one will dance with her and she's as pretty as all the other girls. I also love the fact that Diane Rice like, lowers her voice. <laughs> and the guy's like, I've never danced with a man before. And she's like, you still are not. The drag queen I love is the one that does the line, Bob doll is gorgeous Gorgeous. I think she's the hostess yeah I look through it she is the hostess I always want to know if that was a drag queen I don't know very convincing if she was yeah there's something very comfortable about how they perform yeah I I feel like it was an individual probably in the mid 90s that had a career but no I know you said here you feel a little bit like do we you know do you feel like we, we were cheated by having a traditional American ending well I felt like it was you know a little bit like too on the nose of like oh it all worked out at the end and now we're in this big happy wedding and I was just like across denomination not denomination um, two religions well across you know two denominations yeah. yes yeah I was just like I wish that there was a little bit more tension maybe maybe I just wanted I just wanted a little bit more of a mess like a little bit of a mess like they got off scot-free they did I think that this is the thing is that they do they Could, they don't Rectify. I don't know whether or not you could really rectify. So I guess my question is, I wanted to actually know that Keeley grew as a person. That's what I wanted to know. Well, the thing is that they're, they're sitting in a wedding, though, at the end of it, where he's openly... The thing is, in order for that wedding to happen, mm-hmm. he's had to admit that his, son, his daughter is marrying the son of two men. Right. So that is the one thing you would take from that is he's actually admitting he's being publicly open about who his family is because mm-hmm. it's not like it was a small we- wedding no no it was a very large so wedding. I suppose you have to look at it but I don't feel you ever really get that um, you have to kind of draw the dots you know join mm-hmm. the dots yourself a little bit and work out yeah well no he did clearly have to admit who his, his family is now yeah. but maybe some evidence that the coalition and moral order no longer exists would have yeah, been a little just, bit of just, one just, just like a little bit of something like I, want, I wanted him to have a redemption arc it's a pity because it could have really been like a good um, sequel to this that maybe follows like his political career yeah and that but no it is, it is I feel that yeah the fact is that he's had to admit to this being his family is, is probably the way to look at it but I do also agree with you in that we don't get that real definitive there's been some learning right I do like uh, the fact that it's Albert sitting next to Amanda and Catherine is two down and she's yeah. got a lovely big hat though she's there it's her yeah, son yeah 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 and and Potentially, yeah, you presume that maybe they, they are getting to know each other a bit more now. Right. But but I think the line that irks me is the one that's mentioned by the other attendees of the wedding. And the, they're the, like, the, which the spin- one? The Spencer sisters. Yes, they're like, which one's the mother? And like, so I'm just like, Ugh, you've not like really 
emphasize that these are the parents. Yeah, I, but you know, that, I don't think that line was known back in 96. Well, I know, but with today's eyes, that's what I want. But also, like, again, I I, I, you could look at it go and say, oh, he's raised by a man, and they're going, well, which one is the mother there? You know, like, yeah. oh, which of these men is it? But yeah. again, there's no clarity. Like, I'm, I'm coming up that because I've watched this film since 1996. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be 30 fucking years in a couple of years I've been oh watching this film for. So I know to join that, but I think if you came in fresh, you might yeah. be a little bit like, not get that. And even then, that might not be okay. That's me yeah. just kind of making yeah. excuses for the film that I love. Yes. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's Which one is the mother? I just don't know. So, Daniel, generally, at the end of this, as we come to the end, you know, what are your thoughts of this film? You know, I think it has... I don't know we've stood the test of time, but I think it's it's classic, for sure. It's standing with a lot of understanding. Yes. I think some people will look at it now and be offended, but I think you need to respect where it it's a legacy that we owe Where a lot it came to. from, yeah. And I think that, yes, there's some inappropriate lines, there's some inappropriate characterizations yes. by our standards, but I do, I think it is out and out offensive and nasty. No, it's no. not mean-spirited. No. It's full of love. I would show, and we showed Alex this, and he thought it was, he goes, this is a really funny film. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a classic. It stands alone as a funny film. Yeah. That. Well... Yep. Daniel, do you think we covered everything? My dear, we have barely set the agenda. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to Bitches with Beards. I've been Max. And I'm Daniel. A big thanks to you all for tuning in and giving us a listen. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Please remember that only a mother could love our views and opinions. They reflect us and no one else. All music and clips are used under fair use. We'll see you next week, unless we're cancelled. Cheers. Cheers.